Hello, and welcome back to episode 50 of Comics Over Time, where we shine a spotlight on classic comic stories and the TV shows or big screen blockbusters they inspired. We'll look to connect the dots from the comic book panels to the moving pictures, examining where the adaptation followed the comics closely and where they decided to go their own way. And when we're done, we'll try and answer that most important of questions, who told the tale best? My name is Dwayne, and with me, as always, is my good buddy Dan. Dan, we went back to the theater this week. We did. We sped back to the theater after just being there a couple weeks ago. Another big-budget superhero flick. It's our second in three weeks, so that's exciting. This time, DC's The Flash. So, interesting stuff. Lots to talk about. This has been an interesting week, and and then as the weekend when the movie came out, watching the reactions on on social media and and through all the different like review sites and things like that, we as you said, we've got a lot to talk about. Let's quick talk about some comic book news, and this this surprised me a little bit. Robert Kirkman launches Transformers and GI Joe shared universe. So Skybound Entertainment officially announces the Enragon universe. Is that correct? Enerjon. Enerjon. Enerjon universe. Like the Decepticons and the Autobots were fighting over Enerjon cubes. Okay. So shared comics world based on the Hasbro-owned properties. And, And this was all revealed... As part of the closing pages of Robert Kirkman's Void Rivals Number One, which came out just this last Wednesday, uh, which you held up a copy of uh, as I was reading reading this out, so so you knew so you know about this. Yeah, but I did not know until I bought the comic, and right. then halfway through it, there's a transformer. I'm like, what the heck? So <laughs> I bought it because it's a Robert, it's it's a Robert Kirkman. Book. And I usually, when the new one comes out, I'll give it a try. Because he's done a lot of interesting stuff over the years. And it seemed like him doing a sci-fi book was going to be fun. I had a great pull list this week. It was fantastic. Animal Castle, Great British Bump Off, the the newest Barbaric spin-off, a Moon Knight, uh, the new Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips hardcover. It was just a bonanza week at the comic book shop for me. So... So, does an idea of a shared universe between the Transformers and G.I. Joe sound like something that you'd be interested in? No, it makes no sense whatsoever. (laughs) However, if you think about it, a lot of the recent or the earlier sort of Transformers movies, they were sort of the Transformers coming to Earth and then interacting with and fighting with and working together with the United States or world militaries. And so it does actually seem like it would make some sense. I can see I can see how they would do it. Yes. Yes. Okay. And and I think Robert Kirkman if if he's involved with that at all that might uh, that might lend some credence to it as well. Yes. The bleed over here for me by the way is that I am a huge Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons fan, both of which are produced by Wizards of the Coast under the Hasbro umbrella and they have done very questionable things with those franchises over the last few years and so I have i am i am reticent to see them start to make major changes to to yet another 
franchise that I, I was a fan of at one point. So, but we'll, we'll give it a try. With Kirkman there, I'm going to give it a chance. It's new in Marvel Unlimited this week. We have just two number ones that are debuting, the excellent number one and Hellcat number one. But there are a yep. bunch of other books that are available. Other characters getting new books this week include the Red Goblin, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, Hulk, Wolverine, and Captain Marvel. So a bunch of bunch of characters with some new books this week. Probably something worth looking at you're into any of those characters plus plus there's a few others we'll give you the link in the show notes dan you have a very in- interesting recommendation here what 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 is going on with james gunn and why should we buy some comic books so this is just when i was researching for the flash i don't know if you noticed but there are people talking about james gunn in regards to the flash here and there yes so yes there, you might yes, notice that are. if you go on on the, the dumpster that is social media. But one of the things I saw was that he had talked a little bit about the fact that he enjoys creating and making things and that he always wanted to be a, a comic book writer. He said, I started out trying, uh, wanting to write comic books when I was younger. If I was writing comic books today, I'd probably be, and then he kind of paused, I'd probably be unhappy because so few people are reading comic books. And this is a pervasive and entirely incorrect opinion. And it's something that's been demonstrably proven to be false so many times. Um, when I was doing my research for a lot of my, my papers and stuff, doing uh, for my PhD, there's a site called Comicron that has actually been chronicling sales data on comic books going back decades. And they actually had, and we'll put a link in the show notes, they had a report that came out last June, and so the new one will probably be coming out in the next month here for this year's sales. Uh, but it said that the 2021 Comicron ICV2 report is out, and it's a blockbuster. Comics and graphic novel sales rose 62% to $2.075 billion, up 70% versus 2019. All formats grew. The industry's biggest year ever in dollar terms, even adjusted for affl- inflation. I mean, that matches what I feel like I'm seeing just in, like, pop culture, right? It feels like comics have transcended into the larger pop culture conversation more than they ever have. Like, there were things that were iconic from comic books that made their way into pop culture. But it feels like anytime there's anything big that happens in comic books, they're being talked about on a much bigger stage than they've ever been talked about. I think where where Gunn is getting this feeling, and where a lot of people who are heavily invested in the hobby, of which is one is me, obviously, sometimes can get that feeling, is that if you go into comic stores themselves, or if you look at the sales of the more traditional superhero books by the big two, they are not selling as well as they used to. A book from DC or Marvel, a standard superhero book, probably sells a third or less of what it did when I was younger. Um, But when you talk about comics as a whole, it's really something that's blossomed just into different genres and into different sales channels. Because a lot of the sales that are being tracked that make this such a a mushroom of 
of comic expansion are happening in sort of like you know bookstores or off of Amazon. People are buying graphic novels. They're buying a lot of manga. They're they're reading web comics. Comic Run doesn't track any of that, of course. But comics are bigger than ever. They're just not going through the direct market channel. And so sometimes when I'm in the comic store, it does feel a little bit like things are slowing down. But you just have to step back and realize that the comic store is just one place. And so Gun is, in this thing at least, catastrophically in error. And it does bother me that the guy who's running DC, you know, movie universe, a, a large branch, hasn't actually got this this idea that comics are on the upswing, not the downswing, and they should be leveraging that. So my recommendation, keep reading comics, people. Do not think that somehow nobody's doing it and you're alone and you're wasting your time. Tons of people are enjoying comics these days. It's just stuff like Night Fever by Ed Brubaker, which is more of a, a horror noir kind of thing, or Great British Bump Off is, is more of a comedy book. Void Rivals is sci-fi. You know, you've got all these different mm, things happening. That's where it's at. So, buy some comics, enjoy some comics. All right. Good advice. I don't care what they are. Anything <laughs> you enjoy. Yes. All right, and with that, let's let's move into the main topic this week. We have a new, brand new, brand new movie that we're going to be talking about, The Flash. So this is your spoiler warning. If you've not seen The Flash 2023 that just released this last Friday in movie theaters, and you do not want the uh, talk of the uh, plot or how, how the different actors... Uh, did in the film please stop the recording now go see the film and then come back to us and and join us in the conversation as we as we talk about all things the flash all right so there goes Dwayne's spoiler warning now here's my kind of note on this there's been a lot of discussion on the flash movie and I get that there are people who have very good reasons for sort of not wanting to engage with this film, etc. I, I fully sort of sympathize with a lot of that. Um, I had a tough time sort of deciding how we were going to deal with this and whether we wanted to engage with it. But there's a lot of people who aren't Ezra Miller who go into making this movie. It looks like there is, you know... Hundreds, and if not thousands, of people who spent a lot of time trying to make a piece of entertainment to see if they could bring a little happiness into our night for a couple hours uh, at the movie theater. So we're going to go into it and take a look. I think they made a lot of mistakes in this, and I will probably talk about some of them. But I do want to note that I am not a hate watcher, so I'm going to probably be trying to find the things I enjoy. Um... When we started this, I was one of like five people in the world who actually didn't mind Thor Love and Thunder. So I am pretty easy on comic book movies in terms of I'll find something I like. And even if the world proves me horrifically wrong later, right? Let's dive in. I'm going to give you the film facts for the film and then we'll talk about 
let's start the recap and, and discussion. So, tagline for the film: Worlds collide. The movie was released June sixteenth, twenty twenty three. Has a runtime of one hundred and forty four minutes. Box office estimates at the time of recording: It is estimated that this film is going to take in about one hundred and thirty million dollars worldwide and about fifty five point one million domestically. Now, if you're Want to know how good or bad that is? Black Adam had an opening weekend worldwide of 140 million. Ant-Man 3 had 227 million. The Spider-Verse, which just came out a couple weeks ago, had 208 million. And the last big MCU film, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, had 282 million as far as a box office take. All of this is on a budget of approximately $200 million. Currently, IMDb has a rating for this film of 7.4 out of 10, which is actually the exact same rating that Spider-Man Homecoming has. Uh, if, you, if you remember that, we talked about that just a couple weeks ago. The movie stars Ezra Miller, Sasha Kaye, Michael Shannon, Ron Livingston, Ben Affleck, Maribel Verdu, Kiersey Clemens, and Michael Keaton. It is directed by Andy... Muschietti, and the screenplay is by Christina Hodgson with a story by John Francis Daly, Jonathan Goldstein, and Joby Harold. There's some, there's been a lot of people that have touched this film, and we're going to talk about that too, but I thought it should be noted that there was uh, a bunch of people with regards to screenplay credits and story credits on this at various points during, during the production schedule. But that's what ended up being on the credits uh, for the film as it was released. So those are your film facts for The Flash. All right, Dan, let's talk about the movie itself and give us let's let's start with a little bit of a recap as to as to what happens. And I know we're going to break this up because a lot happens in this film. And uh, yeah, yeah. And I think we've we've heard from a few people that uh, a six or seven minute monologue before we start talking about it gets a little monotonous. So we're going to yeah. break it up. Also, excellent work on the film facts. I've been catastrophically mispronouncing, mispronouncing lots of names as far as I can tell after what you just told me there. Because I didn't... Kaye, I did not get that. And the director's name, I know I've been messing up so well well played I, there sir i i try i i try every week to try and get the correct as close to correct correct pronunciation of uh, actors names directors names that and and i know i butcher a lot more of them than i say correctly so i apologize for that but where i can i do try and get these correct there you go so if all of you could just translate Sasha Cal, when I say that, into Sasha Kaye, which is evidently what it's supposed to be, I would appreciate that because I'm going to probably get it wrong. Anyway, here's our recap. So, the movie begins with Barry at the, uh, the local sort of uh, breakfast restaurant. He starts his day by actually saving a nursery full of babies, a nurse and a service dog, all of whom are falling out of a building that's sort of exploding slash crumbling, while he's waiting in line for his breakfast sandwich to be prepared. So he orders a sandwich, 
He gets the call. He runs out and does all of this involving babies and microwaves. Gets back just in time to get his sandwich. He then starts thinking about the fact that the next day or two is going to bring a lot of memories back because it's his father's upcoming parole hearing where he hopes that a new video evidence or some new video evidence that he's gotten will prove that his dad did not kill his mother. Barry accidentally runs backwards in time because he starts thinking about all of these sorts of things and, and just runs too fast and he ends up the previous day. Goes and tells Bruce Wayne about it. Bruce says, you know, messing with time is dangerous. Even if you can run backwards, don't. And Barry's like, but we could save, I could save my mom. I could save your mom and dad. And Batman's like, no, that's just, that's not the way it works. Uh, at which point Barry proceeds to ignore this perfectly sound advice and do exactly that, running back to the day his mom was murdered and changing the past to save her. So, have we heard this before? Stop we, me if you've heard this yes, before. Yes, yes, we, we, have, we have heard this one before. This is definitely pulled directly from the Flashpoint. I first want to talk about a microwavingly hot introduction to this film. I had to do that. And oh my God, the opening for this film is huh, cringe inducing, I think is probably the best word to describe this. Like the, I, he gets the call from Alfred. Batman is trying to stop terrorists that stole chemicals from, Gotham General Hospital, and that uh, and that a part of the building is actually going to collapse, which just happens to have the nursery wing at like the top floor, and you're like basically ten minutes into the film, and you're seeing babies fall out windows, potentially to their death, if they don't die before they land, because in addition to this, there's like flaming oxygen tanks and giant desks and random scalpels and things that are going to kill the babies before they even get to the ground. And oh my gosh, the, you know, here's the thing. The CGI for this was absolutely terrible. And the fact that it was probably is good because if you are seeing actual lifelike looking babies falling from buildings and potentially getting killed even before they hit the ground you're gonna have people leaving the theater as it is like you're sitting here you're watching this and he's like taking a break to like microwave a burrito because all of his ability to be the flash is you know he basically has to have a uh, you know has to have the full tank of gas basically and, uh, you know, he puts a baby in a microwave and all this sort of stuff. And yes, he ends up saving all the kids and the therapy dog and the nurse. But oh, my God. And yeah. am, am I wrong? Is that not one of the just. What is it that? Was, it's corny is really what it is. And it, it was somewhat entertaining in a goofy way it sets a very specific tone for the movie though that i think makes it difficult to sort of take a lot of the stuff later that's that we should be taking seriously 
as seriously as we should be. And so I was flabbergasted sitting there, literally going, I knew there were microwave memes going around the internet about the Flash. I didn't know why. Now I know why. I wish I'd never found out why. But in the end, it turned out to be sort of a weird little set piece that allowed them to, I guess, try and introduce people to some of the key elements of the Flash. And he has his save the cat moment. Essentially, he saves a, a therapy dog and a bunch of babies. So theoretically, you're supposed to know he's a nice guy because this is what he's doing, right? The weird thing is this is a character who's already been introduced in a number of movies. He's uh-huh. had nine episodes of a TV show and he's been in comics for 60 years. Do you really need to introduce this much to audiences? I mean, presumably they're they're expecting that there's going to be people who haven't watched tv show or or the nine seasons that that was or may not have like that same level of of knowledge maybe they saw justice league maybe they didn't see justice league maybe they don't remember the flash if they did but still it just sort of like it really put the movie in kind of a weird headspace for me going forward i will note that it it reminded me more than anything of Thor Love and Thunder and things like The Goats where yeah. you have a movie that's a serious movie that there's all these things getting in the way making it a not serious movie and I think the best thing to do is just get past that and say yeah that happened and then coming out of that he ends up going back in time the weird thing is the Flash is kind of a fully developed character at the beginning of this So they're doing some explaining, but they don't really explain the core elements of this. So if you didn't already kind of know who Iris was, you didn't already kind of know a little bit about who Barry Allen is and and the like, there wasn't really a lot of actual explanation, just some showing certainly how some dynamics work, like the food thing and stuff like that. Then you get time travel just sort of happening accidentally. And and then he goes back intentionally. And this is one of the first big breaks with Flashpoint that I want to ask you about. In this movie, the Flash just sort of decides that it's okay to go back and save his mom because he misses his mom. And so he does it without really any external sort of pressure. In the Flashpoint comic, you've got the reverse flash taunting him telling him he's killed his mom he knows that his enemy did this and that his mom didn't die somehow a a way that was just part of the regular timeline that someone came back from the future and killed her so really it should never have happened right i think that he's even more irresponsible in the movie than he is in the comic books in doing this yeah it- He's he's grief stricken, right? That he's he's like finally got the this like the missing pieces. He now knows why it happened and you know who was responsible for it. And you know, obviously, he knows his dad wasn't. And so it's like now now I should do now. I'm just overcome with emotion, and I'm just going to go and do a thing 
and and not even really think about the consequences. Here, he knows he has the conversation with Bruce Wayne, and and I loved that kind of back and forth. Bruce uh, Bruce says, "If you were to go back into the past, you have no idea what the consequences would be." And out Barry Allen says, "Bruce, I could fix things," and then Bruce says, "You could also destroy everything." So there is. It's not just kind of a on a lark he's doing this. This is premeditated. Yep. He knows that that and he's warned there's bad things that could happen if you do this. And he goes ahead and does it anyway. He yep. he's definitely more irresponsible than in the comic version of this. Yep. So but so that's the beginning. He goes back in time. He makes one little change that he thinks is gonna be no problem. All he's gonna do is just, you know. Put a, put a can of tomatoes in the cart and then he leaves and no problem. So he then returns back from his trip feeling he's done what he needs to save his mom. He's actually intercepted in the time stream as he's coming back and knocked out into an alternate version of 2013. So essentially he's on the time train back home and somebody just it, comes out, in this the, black the, flash in the, guy. In the chrono ball. There's this like chrono, <laughs> chrono ball, ball sphere thing that he goes into to go back in time i guess he gets knocked out of his little gerbil ball or whatever and (laughs) he's suddenly in 2013 and coincidentally on the exact day that he originally obtained his powers so he goes back to his house sees his mom's still alive his dad's still alive he sees the berry of that time stream coming home and realizes his actions have caused this berry to be sort of a very happy well-adjusted kid but not particularly responsible, and also he has no powers. And he's not going to get his powers because he doesn't work at the police department where he would need to be to be able to hit by the lightning. So in trying to help this Newberry get back his powers, they go to the site of the original original electrical accident, and Barry ends up losing his powers while the Newberry, the young Barry, gains powers. He also finds out that Superman's not around, the Justice League doesn't exist. A lot of the other heroes, like Cyborg and Aquaman, just never seem to end up being around. And Batman appears to have just disappeared. At this point, he realizes that with Zod suddenly attacking, and that being all over the television, there's no Superman around to defeat him. You're not going to defeat the Kryptonian army unless you've got a Justice League, and especially a Superman. So he heads out goes to Wayne Manor and tries to find a way to see if he can find Batman to help him find Superman. When they get there, the manor looks deserted. They go in. They're attacked by this disheveled-looking hobo with really, really good fighting skills. And they find out that he is, in actual fact, an older and seemingly retired Batman from this timeline. Enter Michael Keaton. Enter Michael Keaton. Yes. Once again, uh fabulous that he was in this film and like i i really thought he was going to be thomas wayne based on the comics that we read last week but he was not he he was just as you called it he basically was a retired bruce wayne because hey gotham was great now despite the fact there were no superheroes they were just You know, it was basically peace and tranquility in Gotham Gotham City before Zod shows up, of course. And and so he's not needed as Batman anymore. 
basically he hung up his cape and was now, yep. you know, full full ZZ top beard and everything going on and just kind of hanging out making making spaghetti and not really expecting visitors until the berries showed up. Yeah. And if if Gotham is suddenly all good and they don't need a Batman, why is he not just hanging out going to movies and parties and shaving and bathing once in a while? I what don't is his know. reason? He doesn't seem to be a you know, some sort of of like fugitive from justice or anything. He's just for no reason just he's a, given up bathing. And I yeah, don't he's just a that. shut he's just a shut in for, for whatever yeah. reason. Doesn't there's no there's no Alfred, there's no like weights there's no like wait staff yep. around or helping him with the with the manor or anything like this. But he yeah. still was excellent at, at hand to hand combat though for yep. It's it's Still apparently can... like riding a bike. You just don't forget yep. it at, uh, at any point. Well, he is Batman. so, And he really was. I think that of all the things I did really enjoy, Michael Keaton, and he's like 71 years old yes. or something. Yes, so he is. To have, to have convincingly even, you know, it obviously wasn't him jumping yeah. around on the, on the kitchen island, like kicking the flash or whatever. But they did a good job of, of making him look like he is actually the Batman and integrating things in and the fight and other scenes and everything. I really enjoyed seeing Michael Keaton as Batman. That's Yes. It's yeah. probably the last time we're ever going to see Michael Keaton as Batman. And I, I actually think the, they did a good job of, of giving us one last story with him in it that, that, that we could enjoy. There you go. So yeah, and then Slackerberry was featured as the Flash now. He's trying to learn his powers and figure out what he can do. Mostly he ends up naked and starts fires and destroys neighborhoods. Yeah. Falls through the falls through the floor and scares old ladies. That sort of stuff. This again was a little bit, do you think he used the word cringy? There were times yeah. where some of this started to feel almost a little bit more like a vaudeville act where they they took some of the jokes and they just played them a little too long you know right kind of like with the babies maybe that scene could have been five minutes shorter and it would have been better some of this as well they maybe didn't need to have quite as much of it the berries then convince batman to help them find superman who barry believes is the only one who can save the day they track what must have been his ship to Siberia, and they find and rescue the Kryptonian held prisoner there, Kara Zor-El. She is emaciated and looks like she's not going to be able to help, but even though Batman says, let's go, Flash decides, nope, we've got to save her because she needs saving. They bring her out. She gets in the sun, gains her powers, helps them to defeat all of the soldiers, and then she flies away after the fight, but does eventually rejoin the team just after Batman has finished electrocuting original Barry in an effort to sort of douse him with a bunch of chemicals and reproduce the accident that gave him his powers. That did not work, just like in the comic books it failed the first time. But instead of Batman re-electrocuting him, Kara takes him up into sort of the clouds where the lightning is happening and he gets a direct dose of lightning right up in the clouds and that takes care of it. So... Now we've got two flashes. Supergirl agrees to help out against Zod, 
and they head off to fight the Kryptonian and his army. Nice. All right. So that's where we're at. What did you think of this part? Sasha Kaye was great. I, mm -hmm. I was, I don't know. I mean, I obviously they weren't going to find Superman and because we knew Henry Cavill wasn't going to be in this film seen trailers that have shown Supergirl so obviously that was who was going to be in there but that action sequence when they get outside and suddenly um, you know she's got the ability to fly and she's you know beating up people as you know Batman's beating up people and you've got uh, the, the uh, younger Barry uh, not really doing much of anything to help out because he's still trying to get a handle on his powers um it was it was really cool it was a, a pretty pretty fun action sequence uh that i really liked very cool yeah i i would agree that i think the supergirl character ended up being one of the most effective characters in the show i also like they talked about how of all of them her costume was one of the more practical affected costumes right. The, the Flash costume, a lot of it ended up being CG and the like because of the nature of things. And a lot more of the Supergirl flying and, and effects and stuff like that, they tried to actually do more with her in the suit instead of CG, which always seems to make a better result. Yeah, the suit... That the, was... Her suit was awesome. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, I she talked about how, how cool the suit was and it, it had... Uh, we'll talk about this she talked about it having kind of an androgynous look that it had both characteristics of like the male superman costume as well as like the supergirl costume of of yesteryear as well and so it it just looked amazing and mm -hmm. like even when it's just sort of sitting off on the on this uh you know on the grate the, in the in the like chamber that she's being kept in it's still, you're just like, oh God, there's the big S and nope. you're just waiting to see her put it on and then just start, you know, going after them. And, and when she does, it doesn't disappoint. Other than that, um, the Batcave electrocution scene directly out of the comic books. Uh, yeah. What did you think of that? Did it, did it work for you? Did it not work as well for you? I, I mean, I, I think it worked about as well in live action as it could work. Um, you know, they obviously had Supergirl in here as well, and they could take advantage and make, make it look a little bit different than it was in the comics. It was rather graphic looking in the comic itself. So I'm just fine with the fact that, you know, we don't get to see Barry Allen get actually electrocuted the second time. We just see fried you know, to a crisp with burns everywhere, <laughs> right? Yes. We just we just kind of see the aftermath when she brings him back down from the clouds, having been hit a second time, and now suddenly he's got you know the little the little electrical bolts kind of uh, starting to form around his body as he starts to heal. You know, I think this is for me one place where there's never really a good indication of exactly what batman's motivations are like if he's really a hermit who's been hiding away and not helping with any of the other world's problems for god knows how long how is it suddenly he's energized to do this and in 
Flashpoint, he's not only still active, but that incentive of being able to change things to bring back his son yeah, kind of drives him to the point where he's willing to do some crazy things like electrocute his new friend, right? Right. Where I don't know we really get a good idea of why this Batman would be like, yeah, that sounds like a Ace's idea. Let's go ahead and see if we can kill you, right? So right. I, I do think that there are places where some of the decisions they made to change the storyline didn't get thought through well enough in terms of how they affected the characters and some of the plot points. But there you go. Another, another one of those just don't think too hard about, about about that and let's just move on to the big third act and the giant battle scene. Sure. So the battle with Zod, as it should be, is relatively difficult because this is the Flashes and Batman and Supergirl taking on, in effect, a small army of Superman-level soldiers. Flashes end up going in and fighting mostly the ground troops, and then Supergirl confronts General Zod himself. She learns that in this world, Zod's forces actually intercepted Kal-El's ship and killed him, and also finds out that her blood is key to Zod's plans for dominance and for sort of reigniting or, or remaking Krypton. Eventually, both Batman and Supergirl die in the battle, and the Flashes then repeatedly go back in time to try and quote-unquote fix the problem, unquote. They're never able to change the outcome, though, and eventually original Barry realizes that he needs to go back and undo his changes to time, allowing his mother to die so that the Earth can have its defenders and can have a chance to survive. He's again attacked as he tries to do this in his, his little time hamster ball. What did you call it? It's the... The chrono ball. The chrono, chrono ball. Um, so he's attacked as he tries to do this. But this is we actually see him this time. It's an older version of Barry himself who still believes he can save everyone. Now, it's an older version, though, of the new Barry. The one that's yes. just been created. And he never gets the memo that he can't win. So he's been going back and back and back through time, trying to find a way where he can save his mom and still save the world from Zod. Probably like thousands, hundreds, hundreds. Of, he's been doing it for a long time and has suffered the wear and tear of trying to do this, you know, millions of times, probably. Yep, and fractured the multiverse every time he does it, probably. So... Eventually, young Barry realizes that this is going on and what his future is going to be because he can see some of the same scars on the older Flash that he's just received in the battles they've had. And he sacrifices himself, thereby essentially wiping the other Flash out from the timeline because when he dies, his older self isn't around anymore. Original Barry then goes back, mostly restores the timeline, and the movie ends with his dad free and a new Bruce Wayne on the scene. So Jesus, he, yeah. He, he didn't go back and not change time. He changed time, yes. he thought, a little less. He just changed where the tomatoes were so that his dad, would his face would be up so it could be seen on camera. And so, yeah. 
because the initial video evidence he thought would exonerate his dad, his dad never looks up, so you can't tell it's nope. him. So he goes back, moves the tomatoes to the top shelf, so then when he grabs them, you actually do see his face, and he's able to get his acquittal. Uh, yep. And so doesn't all right, actually. So there we go. Yes, and and does in fact actually create a new a a, a new spaghetti basically. Yes, <laughs> because that changes so, things. So let's talk about that. So our new our new Bruce Wayne at the end is George Clooney from essentially some of the Batman movies back in the nineties. So really, we have almost all of them now. Val Kilmer doesn't really do much these days, but he would <laughs> no. be the only. Because he's he's a his occasionally his son like does voiceovers for him and stuff like that now, but um, Val's got some serious health problems, so he doesn't he doesn't do any movies anymore. But all of the other Batman are in this pretty much. Yes, I you know what I've completely forgotten that George Clooney was Batman for a movie, and he was in Batman and Robin with Chris O'Donnell way back in 1997. I think I had skipped that one because I That's don't, the don't remember. Suit. Yeah, the I don't everybody remember. Mocked. Yep. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Mister Freeze, or and I don't mm-hmm. remember who played Poison Ivy. But uh, yep. suffice to say, uh, I had completely forgotten about that, and then my wife mentioned it after the fact, and I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess that yep. makes sense then why he's the Bruce Wayne. Yep, the Schumacher movies from back in the day. So. They, if, if you haven't watched them in a while, I remember really, really hating them when I was younger. But now I can go back with a little bit of distance and just enjoy them for the ridiculous piece of history that they are. So, yeah, they still make my head hurt a little bit, but they are, they are definitely interesting. So, let's talk about a few of these things. First off, these are not the most super supermen. Right, uh, in in a lot of the previous DC movies, you'll see that the Flash, while he's fast and he's strong, he can't take down Superman. Probably, in fact, one of my favorite movies in really almost any comic or moments in almost any comic book movie is when there's a fight in I think it's Justice League where. Superman has come back from the dead. He's taking on the whole Justice League. Barry decides to come in at super speed and take him out. And as he's coming in, he just sort of sees Superman move his eye to look at him. And he can tell that Superman is, in fact, as fast as him. And he's like, oh, crap. <laughs> and, and then he gets he gets pounded. So the fact that an unexperienced Flash is able to take out half an army of Kryptonians. It's a little goofy. But it's a Flash movie, so we'll give them that. Right. What did you think of the rest of the battle? The Batman doing his thing in the Batwing and eventually crashing himself into the shield and whatever, all the rest. I'm like, they're going to kill Batman? Are you serious? They're going to actually kill Michael Keaton's Batman in this? And they don't. They do. Repeatedly. And, and then they Repeatedly. kill him more than once. And, oh my god. I, I, I mean, I liked it. Like, it made sense. Like, the way he's fighting is how you'd expect him to have to fight against 
the Kryptonian army, and you know he, he's going after the giant, and he ends up the first time die. You know, first time he kamikazes himself into into the ship, and then when they go back, they tell him, you know, there's shields on this. So then he goes after the giant, and then you know puts explosives on like the giant's head, but that doesn't really kill him either. But yeah. it, you know, it's just. It's a spectacle, right? There's just so much going on. You've got, you know, uh, Kara going up against General Zod, and, you know, that doesn't go well. Despite the fact that she's, like, winning it, he ends up, you know, out of nowhere, you know, shiving her right through the back, just like, actually, Thomas Wayne kills the reverse Flash in in Flashpoint, just right through the back with this giant, like, needle pull spike thing that he happens to have in like his in, in like his yeah. armor and uh yeah it was it there was it, it was it was a superhero level spectacle third act and then like they keep rewinding and keep doing different things and then you keep seeing bad things still happening despite the fact they changed their tactics it really does kind of hammer home the point that they're not going to win this and they need to they need to do something different. So this may be as good a time as any to talk about the special effects and some of the the cameos, quote unquote, that are going on in the the time sequences. Yeah. So what did you think of the effects during like the big battle and things like this? Because you call it a superhero spectacle. Yes. I almost didn't feel that way because it it just seemed a little muddy. I didn't mind it, but it did seem like a lot of stuff with some of the way that the Flash's powers were working and the like, it didn't necessarily always make as much sense as I would have liked. So I, I read some things about this kind of this week and they were talking about like the producers and stuff were talking about the fact that, you know, there was complaints about the CGI, uh, specifically like when the Flash is doing and the point that they were trying to make was they they were saying that this was a conscious choice on their end, that, that we were sure. basically seeing what Barry sees when he goes into like the hyper speed and everything just sort of looks weird and, and sort of like, it's, it's like moving in ways that it shouldn't move and it, and it's like stretching in ways it shouldn't stretch and things like this. And and you were you definitely saw that with some of this stuff. I think the part so so like when we got to the battle scene, I mean we'd seen the Flash run a bunch of times. Both of the Flashes run a bunch of times. So I was kind of sort of expecting that there was going to be a lot of that during that third act, and there definitely was. I think the thing that got me was when we got back into that chrono ball thing. And we start to see kind of the multiverse sort of break down and we start to see all of the sort of, I, I can't even necessarily call them all cameos because these no. actors and actresses aren't alive anymore. They were, they were AI deep flakes. We had Christopher Reeve and Helen Slater. We had George Reeve. We had Adam West. We had Nicolas Cage for some reason as as a superman yes i know that he was attached to a superman movie at one time um <laughs> it it 
it was jarring. The Christopher Reeve thing, I think, was the one that was the most jarring because it felt like they were on him and Helen Slater there as Supergirl for a long time during that sequence when you're seeing all the different balls, chrono balls smashing into one another and that sort of thing. And I know that they were talking about, or like, I know they were probably had good intentions. They're like trying to bring back feelings of nostalgia in that. But for the most part, I did not enjoy those. And in the case of the Christopher Reeve thing, it again, something else that just really took me out of the film at that moment and really caused me kind of just some ugh, cringe feelings. Yeah, there's a lot of people who. Again, and I completely respect this. There are a lot of people who are really uncomfortable with some of the stuff they've done. You know, George Reeves, who was the 1950s Superman, actually committed suicide. And a good part of the reason was that he believed, it seems, that being Superman had destroyed his career and he hated it. And so the idea that they're bringing back some of this stuff... And again, if they just do footage, that's one thing. But it sounds like in most cases they didn't use footage from the 50s TV show. They digitally recreated the character and made their own. Which means kind of digitally reanimating a dead person and then making a movie using them and making them move the way you want to. Which seems to me is, is creepier than just using old footage from the 50s tv show right right and for a lot of these it just seems like it was maybe well-intentioned but it fell flat in a way that they should have been able to maybe see now it also shows that there probably wasn't as much goodwill for this film as there might have been if it had been a film that hadn't already had people waiting with the long knives, maybe they would have gotten by with some of this. What bothers me more is that there are a lot of really, really good Flash characters in the multiverse of live-action DC uh, television and in the last few years, none of whom were featured at all except for Teddy Sears, who was one of the Flashes on the Flash TV show, and... He doesn't even remember being in the show. So he's like, I think I would have remembered if I'd have done a scene for yeah. a big budget movie. And so it sounds like they probably deep faked his face or some amalgam of his face and somebody else's onto a an Earth 2 Flash, the guy with the tin hat, uh, and just sort of put him in the movie. So there's there's a lot of things going on here that not only are interesting... But to be quite frank, could provide sort of unique lawsuit potential for some things that will help to define how IP is used and how people's likenesses can be used by AI and the like in, in the coming years. You know, the, the interesting thing also about this is there actually could have been even more of this. Because sure. there was an article in The Nerdist talking about Director Muschietti revealed some of the planned cameos that didn't end up in the final film, including Linda Carter's Wonder Woman from the TV series uh, from the late 70s, Marlon Brando as Jor-El from Superman, Burgess Meredith's Penguin and Cesar Romano's Joker from the Batman TV series, 
and even Grant Gustin's Barry Allen from the Arrowverse continuity. So there was just, there was already too much of this. And then there could have mm-hmm. been even more. And oh my gosh, I can't even think about what it would be like at that point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was a choice. I think that it, it becomes this sort of overt fan service that it seems that they think we want. And maybe at one time, like if this movie had been made 15 years ago, I would have probably found a lot of this stuff to be cool. Right? But at this point, I think we've had enough saturation of the nostalgia of comics that it's time to just tell good stories and not depend on cameos rather than story. I had a friend of mine who I, comic book friend, another comic book friend asked me about the movie. I was telling him about all the cameos and he's like, do you think it's because of how well No Way Home did? Bringing back Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield? And I was like, I'm I'm sure that, you know, that may have been in somebody, the back of somebody's head as well, but the way they did it for this is completely different. And it it, it does end up, you know, if it's fan service, it definitely doesn't feel the same way this fan service may have, you know, the way that fan service felt in, in No Way Home. And, and so it just did not did not hit with me. And it doesn't seem like it hit with a lot of people. And so, so I think the best thing I can say about those scenes is I did not get an emotional charge out of them. At best, I was bemused. And that that's sort of in... And, and I'm an easy mark for this sort of stuff, right? Uh, when my son and I were watching the new uh, Strange New Worlds, season one, or, or season two, episode one, a couple of days ago, right. we get to the end, goes black, there's a title card, just sort of a tribute to Nichelle Nichols. Right. And I'm just a blubbering mess, right? Because uh-huh. that's that's all you need. You need some actual right. respect for the people who've made your universe. And not only are they using a lot of this, you know, these people's likenesses sort of out of context and in many cases potentially without permission, but then you get to the end title credits and there's people like Mark Wade who actually sort of you know, was the actual inventor of the idea of the Speed Force, who's not even mentioned in the credits. And probably tons of other people who've added things to the the mythos. I just I am I'm a little bit I'm a little bit I think bemused, yeah, on that. I didn't mind it necessarily. I know a lot of people are have looked more into it and are really upset about some of the implications and licensing and, and just the, the people who were used and how they would have felt about it. But to me, it just didn't seem like a great story choice or it wasn't well well done as a story choice. And the best thing I can say about the visual effects is for the most part, they didn't take me out of the movie. But they didn't wow me. Oh. Right? I mean, I, I can would, remember... I would agree. I can remember times in 2008 in Iron Man where the special effects... I still can basically see them in my head. And I don't know there's a single there's a single moment in this movie 
as impressive to me as some of the special effects we were getting 15 years ago in Iron Man. Well, I want to talk about the actual story itself. You know, we talked about the fact that we had a lot of different people have touched various versions of this script. And I, the thing I will say about this film is I really liked the comic book story type movie that we got yep. in this movie. To me, this felt like a, 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 this was a, story that I could have read in a bunch of comic books over several months, but instead they turned it into a feature film. It had a strong message about living with mistakes in your past and, and just coming at, to accept, you know, loss and things like that about how things aren't as easy to fix, even if they are, even if you are able to go back and fix them. The idea of yep. unintended consequences and and everything like that. It just it was it was a solid story and, and one that I think uh, you know was was a if you they ultimately ended up with a pretty good story and then it was just a matter of executing that story and you know some of some of the the players did better at that than others. But for the most part, I, I just wanted to call out specifically that I thought, as far as the story goes, I think this was actually a really good story. Now, I'm not exactly certain, but it almost seems to me like this could have been a movie where all of the time that they got with all of the delays during the pandemic and trying to let some of the scandals calm down and everything simply gave them too much time to go back and add one more joke or one more right. scene or one more cameo and that maybe they'd have been better off if they just had to get the movie out and hadn't been able to tinker with it as much. This seems like an overly tinkered with movie. I I would I would I could buy that. There's definitely some extra things there. I'm just stacking if you were to give me a synopsis of just the story and not all the kind of the frills. Yep. The, the two minute two minute elevator pitch of the of the story, I thought the story itself was actually really good, and, and, and hence why I wanted to call out John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein here, because I really liked Honor Among Thieves. I thought that was a really excellent story, and and for a while these guys were attached to this, and um, you know they didn't ultimately end up being you know the ones to direct or even write the screenplay but i i feel like i i definitely could see some of the like story choices what could have potentially i could see how based on some other of their work i could definitely see how similarities there and and why some jokes worked and then maybe where some of them didn't uh may have come from somewhere else potentially. yeah no i think the the overall story you know, came mostly out of Flashpoint. And so, really, it's a story that has a solid grounding in the comic. And, and basically the same moral. That being that there simply are some things that are, that, you know, you can't change. And that really part of life is being able to understand that, that what has happened has happened and you have to move on from there and be able to build your life going forward. So... 
I wish that they hadn't had that moral and then showed that Barry, in actual fact, can screw with the timeline, get his dad free, and mess things up, and then it just continues on. Because that was kind of a weird, you know, you mostly can't have to live with things, but you can change it a little bit, I guess, just to make things better. So. But let's talk about the backlash to this film. Because there's been a lot of people that have been rooting for, and I think celebrating the, the, the failures of this film. Um, I definitely, obviously, Ezra Miller has something to do with this. Um, sure. It, to be perfectly honest with you, I was not fully aware of the extent uh, to which Ezra Miller has been, had done and what he had been accused of doing. And uh, definitely I would have given a lot more pause to going to the theater to see this film had I realized everything. And definitely mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff has come out again now with the, with the premiere of this film. But there also yep. seems to be like a group of people that want to just see comic movies die. And they seem yep. to be celebrating every time a movie doesn't meet expectations. Yeah, and I think this comes from a number of different quarters. Some of which I can understand, and some of which drive me a little bit crazy. First off, the Ezra Miller thing makes perfect sense to me. That there are people who are disengaging from the film because of it. And to be quite frank... There's a part of me that as much as I like to see movies from superhero content succeed, if the lesson coming out of this is that you have to be careful who you work with a little bit because having people who have, uh, have done, frankly, unacceptable things and been caught being the star of your movie is going to cost you financially, that would not be a bad lesson for Hollywood to take from this. Right? Totally agree. But, totally agree. But the the other thing just grander than this is that on one side, you have people who are sort of classic movie purists. You're Martin Scorsese fans who are just sick of people in long underwear running around in the movie screen and want to get back to seeing, you know, just regular dramas and comedies and things like that. And I understand where they're coming from. I am surprised myself that the comic book bubble has lasted this long because usually a genre comes in, explodes the way comics did, and then kind of like Westerns did a little bit in the 80s. They have a run, Unforgiven shows everybody you can make a bunch of money, so there's Westerns everywhere for a few years, and then it dies out. And it's been a long time. But then on the other side, you have people who supposedly are comic book fans but they don't like the fact that comic book movies aren't made a particular way. And they just want the industry or the comic book sort of environment to burn to the ground so that it can prove to someone that the movies that people are making and enjoying are not good movies and they need to make them a different way. A lot of this comes around sort of, you know, the Zack Snyder, Snyderverse stuff, which is weird because I actually like Zack Snyder as a director on a lot of things. He's made some movies I really dislike. He's made some movies I really like. But one way or another, it seems that 
the thing that those folks are missing is that while we can fight over Marvel versus DC and that sort of stuff internally, the comic book fandom is a relatively small group. And if The Flash fails, it doesn't tell studios, hey, we should go back and make you know, Justice League movies with, uh, you know, with Zack Snyder. It doesn't tell them we should make more movies like Marvel makes. It just tells them comic book movies are dying and we're more likely to not get as many of them. So even if a movie isn't necessarily to your tastes, going online and yelling about it just makes it more difficult for everything, including the movies you really do like, you know? So I wish... I wish people would just go to movies that that are in the genres and, and in the straits that you like. If you decide you don't like something, eh, wait for the next one. There's a new comic book movie like every four days right now. They, is it really I that mean, hard to find one I, you like? Yeah, we. I mean, sitting sitting in there watching the trailers, I saw a Blue Beetle trailer before... Oh. before uh, like there's another one right around the door, right, right around the corner, as well as a and bunch even, of other stuff. And even the last couple of weeks, the fact that we've had two very different movies in Spider Verse and The Flash, and both of them have been perfectly serviceable and entertaining movies. Like you said, you know, if it's a seven point four rating, maybe that goes down because usually initial ratings on IMDb are higher and they drift lower out over time. But right. it's going to be a movie that it sounds like people overall have have gone in and had a relatively good time and spider-verse is astonishing and so yeah it it does seem unfortunate i do think that it has hurt too uh what has also hurt the film though is miller didn't do any uh marketing because there was too much fear that it would all come down to asking about allegations and stuff and it sounds like a lot of the other actors also didn't do much in terms of going out and doing interviews because they were afraid that most of what they would be asked about was what the status of Miller and the various allegations are. And so right. a lot of the things that drives publicity are people going on talk shows and doing this sort of stuff. This movie had a tough time fighting off, fighting back against Backlash because it didn't really have the ability to say much itself. So... You also had, obviously, James Gunn coming in and the kind of the reimagining of DC films and the DC cinematic universe going forward. We may or may not have uh, Ezra Miller as Barry Allen going forward. It, you know, it, it's, it, I could definitely see some people checking out from, from that point of view, just waiting until James Gunn and Superman Legacy are one of the projects that he's yeah. more directly tied to and the new version of DC films going forward. Which is another sort of concern is that idea that when you start making these coordinated universes, suddenly people aren't going to see your movie. They're going to see some sort of grand storyline. And if the storyline ends or isn't going well, then they check out and don't really the movie doesn't get a chance to stand on its own let's talk about other couple quick things before we jump into tidbits uh 
Trailers spoiling good moments. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. I was really hyped seeing that in the trailer. I was looking forward in the movie. And then it ends up being a letdown in the movie because I saw it in the trailer. I think having seeing it in the movie in the context, I would have likely been like fist bump sort of thing had I not known it was coming. But I knew it was coming because I saw the way he was standing. I saw where he was standing. And it just ruined a really great moment for me um, seeing him say that in the trailer. I don't know about you and your thoughts on that. Yep. Yeah, they they had a number of those things that were obviously kind of set up. And even Supergirl, the fact that I think they probably would not have had her in any of the marketing and would have kept her for a surprise in the movie if Ezra Miller had not been so, so absent from the marketing and they needed to ruin that surprise in the movie to put her into the trailer so that they would have some, some other character to sort of get people interested in and publicize. There's, there's only so much Batman you can show in a Flash trailer. Yes, that is correct. That is correct. So, so you have a note. Who killed Barry's mom? This drives me nuts. I mean, it's a movie, and at the very core of this movie is the idea that there's been a murder. Barry Allen is a forensic scientist and a policeman, and we go through an entire movie. He goes back and literally is rearranging cans but he doesn't stop by the house to see who's killing his mom. Why does he not... And it never comes out at the trial. No. We never learn no. who killed Barry's mom. And maybe that's part of the lesson of it, that you just have to let it go and not worry about it. And it doesn't matter when these random things happen. But we all know it matters. That was the defining thing of Batman's career early on was trying to find out who killed his parents and they finds out it's joe chill at a certain point and it just drove me nuts because in flashpoint of course we already know we yeah. know it's reverse flash and then reverse flash comes in and he brags up about it and everything else is it still reverse flash doesn't seem like it is it now just a guy that's a massive difference in the overall history of the flash and who he is and you know kind of moves into that idea that there's not a single flash villain anywhere in the flash movie no there's not you know they bring in zod a superman villain and batman is there for most of the you know most of it takes place in gotham and you've got zod as the villain in a flash movie uh-huh nuts so you have one other note here about we categorically i think both loved the ending of flashpoint and the note from thomas yes. wayne to bruce wayne and there was you you had speculated that maybe michael keaton was going to be playing not bruce wayne but thomas wayne in the film yeah how dis how disappointed are you that you didn't see that part of flashpoint I am I am as disappointed as I can be in the decision to make a to make a sort of criminally unnecessary change to an existing story. 
This is actually probably the only thing about the movie that is a that is a choice that I not only dislike, but that I actually blame them for. I think some of these cameos and the like, maybe they just didn't understand the context of what they were doing. They probably should have, but I, I'm going to believe that they didn't intend to insult all of these older characters. They just didn't have a clue. But with what they did to the Flashpoint story by changing Thomas Wayne to Bruce Wayne fundamentally changes that character, but it also ruins the ending of Flashpoint and ruins one of the best Batman beats ever in any Batman story. And Flashpoint isn't a Batman story, but the end of it is very much a Batman story. And, you know, the end of Flashpoint, Thomas Wayne sort of, you know, kills Reverse Flash, Barry goes back and, and save, you know, and make sure that he doesn't save his mom. And as he's leaving, he gets this note from Thomas. He keeps the note. He delivers it to, to Bruce. And then Bruce actually gets that sort of closure of being able to know his dad loved him and get one last chance to, to hear from him and, and everything else. And it's just beautiful. And in this, everything was set up for that. Michael Keaton is 71 flipping years old. Why can't he be, you know, Ben Affleck's dad? That makes perfect sense. And so I just don't know why they didn't do this. I just don't. I, I don't get it. I also think that everybody knows Batman and his story well enough that that would have absolutely resonated with audiences in the theater just as well as it resonated with audiences in the comic books. I would agree with that. And, right. and you know it resonated with people in the comics because they've gone back to that now two or three times and it's become a big storyline, which they've then murdered into the ground and you don't want to continue seeing it. But it was great as a flashpoint. We... We are running a bit long. I do want to give us a few tidbits uh, about the movie and some references to the comics beyond the ones that we've already talked about. Uh, first of all, principal photography for The Flash started began on April 19th, 2021 at Warner Brothers Studios in Levenston in England under the working title Baby Shower. Ugh, that is terrible. Uh, principal photography wrapped, by the way, October 18th, 2021 as well. So this was definitely made during during the pandemic. So this film was first announced in 2014 and was released in 2013 and was in development and production spanning all nine seasons of the Flash TV show, which started in 2014. There's actually a great article on discussing films talking about the entire production of the Flash. They've been trying to make a Flash movie since the the 1980s and it is now 2023 when they finally actually release a film and it is fascinating how many starts and stops this has gone on how many people yep. have been attached to it and that sort of thing we could spend another hour and a half talking about that but we'll provide a link in the show notes so you can check that out um it is it is it is really something uh one note ezra miller and comic writer grant Moore 
Warren actually wrote a draft for the script with a yes. darker take on the character, but the studio decided not to move forward with their version. Um, probably fine with that. I did think it was interesting. I saw an article talking about the three different endings this movie has had that that was actually that we actually got released. The the original ending actually would have had Keaton's Batman as well as Kaye's Supergirl continue existing in the new timeline, but erase Cavill and Affleck's roles as Superman and Batman respectively in the DCEU with plans for a sequel to The Flash before building up to the Crisis on Infinite Earths film in the future. This was also going to set up a then-in-development Batgirl film, which is the one that got canceled in August of, of last year, as Keaton was going to reprise his role as Batman in that film as well. So that got scrapped, and then we had a second ending uh, that was that was shot while they were in production for the film, where they were going to keep Cavill and actually shot scenes at the courthouse with Cavill as well as Gal Gadot. Um, he actually shot it at the same time as his cameo for Black Adam, and this was going to drum up interest in a planned Man of Steel sequel, as well as the third Wonder Woman film. That was until both those films got canceled uh, when James Gunn was hired as the head of DC Films in November of 2022. And in fact, the ending we got with George Clooney was actually filmed in January of this year, several months after principal photography ended and then was kept under wraps until the release of the film just, just, just this week. So it is, it is absolutely crazy. A couple other notes are one other, one other note, the Joker laugh bag, by the way, in the Batcave yep. was a great callback to the 1989 film. I'm a huge fan of that film, and so it was fabulous to fabulous to see that. Yep, absolutely. Couple, we've talked about a bunch of the comic book references. I did want to mention this: Harry Allen is being held at Iron Heights Penitentiary. Iron Heights is predominantly used by the Flash in the comics, as well as the CW TV show. It's where most of Barry's rogues gallery end up being held after he, they get arrested. Across from Barry Allen's apartment is Grayson's, a, a store. This is obviously a reference to the DC family of the same name. Uh, Dick Grayson, hero commonly associated with Batman as the first Robin and later Nightwing. And then we did see Patty and Albert, uh, his co-workers a, from the Flashpoint comics and, and a lot of the other comics in, in is it is it not enough that Batman is like half of the movie? Do the do the Easter eggs have to be Batman Easter eggs too? Apparently it, so. Apparently so. Why in the world couldn't they have found some sort of just you know characters from some some rogues galleries things have a boomerang hanging around here or there or whatever? I mean, uh huh. Anyway. Anyway. All right, so I think you got anything else for me? 
There are, there are, by the way, so many Easter eggs. I'm not even going to attempt because you start going into the the time stream stuff and everything, and there are hundreds and hundreds of sort of various things that reference movies from movies and TV from all the way back. So right, kind of crazy. Was Adam West was even in this thing? I think yes, yes. So, they had a, a shot of the Adam West Batman in, in there as well. So, so you're saying they did do. TV Batman and TV Superman, but couldn't be bothered to put in either of the TV Flashes in the Flash movie. Because that they would confuse people. They could not, people. apparently. They, they, they could not, apparently. I'm going to just go off and bathe in salt for a while. But anyway, so we're, we've watched the movie, and I think through it all, though we jest, both of us came away having enjoyed it at least somewhat. So Yes. We also read five comics last week, the Flashpoint series, wherein much the same story was told with some notable sort of alterations. And if any of you are with us just for the movie, you can go back to episode 49 and re-listen to that if you want to learn more about the Flashpoint series. So, Dwayne, which one did you like better? We've got Flashpoint, number one through five, by Jeff Johns and Adam Kubert, or we've got the Flash movie from 2023. So th- this is actually pretty easy for me. I I think I liked the Flashpoint comic book series more than I liked this movie. There was just the story resonated with me a lot more. I mean, this is still a good story. There's not all the scandal and cameos and all this sort of thing that ended up getting into the movie that they took me out of it. That baby scene is going to live in my head rent free for. <laughs> Quite some time, unfortunately. Baby scene is not in the comics. Do not blame the comics. No, it is, it is not. Uh, I just, I really enjoyed. And then, as as we talked about that ending with the Thomas note, Thomas Wayne note to Bruce, was such a such a great ending that it. We knew characters' motivations. We understood why they did what they did. They weren't rec- as reckless and premeditated about it. It was just. It was it was the better telling of this story. Yep, I, I in fact, often am am relatively, like, hey, it could go either way. This time I'm, pretty strongly on the Flashpoint one through five is just better than the Flash. the The story makes more sense. It is developed and executed, sort of more professionally. And, you know, the artwork by Kubert is spectacular. The story is the thing that has laid the framework for a lot of other stories in the DC universe uh, going forward. You know, out of that, we had the DC rebooted into the New 52 and all the rest and everything. So it was an important story. It was well told. And the Flash movie, I, I don't regret going to it, right? Uh-huh. But it's certainly not something I'm going to be remembering, and I would I would not pay to go and see it again. And I will tell you, I watched uh, Across the Spider Verse this week, and as I was leaving the theater, I was like, I'm looking forward to seeing this again. I oh, definitely yeah. did not have that feeling watching The Flash. I uh, every Tuesday is cheap movie week in in Fargo, and I've been to Spider Verse every Tuesday since it came out. 
and I've told my son I'm going to Spider-Verse every week until it leaves theaters because I just don't want to miss a week of this spectacular movie. Every time I go, the artwork and the colors and everything just blows me away. It is a just a piece of cinematic art. And it's a and it's a love letter to comic books and comic book fans done absolutely right. So Wow. All right, Dan, before we wrap things up for this week, where are we going next? Well, you're gonna love this. So because we haven't had enough new stuff, next week we're getting ready for another new show. We've got a new MCV M- MCU TV show debuting this week on Disney Plus. It's called Secret Invasion. It stars Samuel L. Jackson. And so, in preparation for this, by next week, Dwayne is going to read all ninety-eight books from the two thousand eight oh, Secret what? Invasion event. To sort of prep for the show. Excuse me? <laughs> okay, maybe maybe you don't need to read them all. It's insane. There are actually 98 books in the original Secret Invasion event. I'm just going to have you read the eight main books in the title. But there is a link in the show notes to the complete Secret Invasion event. So if any of you want to read along, maybe read a few extra books, whatever, uh, there is a Marvel uh Secret Invasion complete event page that shows you the entire thing in its reading order. And it's impressive. So, we are reading numbers 1 through 8, Main Secret Invasion line by Brian Michael Bendis and Lionel Yu. I don't know if we've read anything or or seen anything that's been drawn by Yu before. He's a really, really good artist. So, looking forward to seeing what you think of him. I'm looking forward to that, and I, I do like Brian Michael Bendis. I like some of the stories we've read of his so far. So that, that sounds like a, a good set of books to read, and definitely a lot less than the 98 in total. So looking forward to that. Thank you all for hanging with us as we went quite a bit long on this episode. We appreciate you sticking with us all the way to the end going to give you our wrap up now this is wrapping it up for us for this week we'd like to thank you all for joining us if you're new to the podcast again it's not usually this long but please consider subscribing on your podcast player of choice that way you'll get each new episode as soon as it's released whether you're new to the podcast or you've been with us from the beginning we'd love to get your thoughts on the flash on the show on the flashpoint comics whatever you can send us those thoughts via email that address is comments at comicsovertime.com or you can reach out to us via social media on twitter we are at comics overtime there dan i i'm looking forward to another brian michael bendis story and getting some context for secret invasion as we jump into another mcu tv series yep that's going to be an interesting one so six six weeks so it'll be uh, interesting to see where they go with it but these comics are are a good start of a really really confusing and somewhat controversial at the time event so we'll see what you think look forward to talking about it next week all right sounds good until then take care everybody see you later folks